Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is your premium GPS hunting app available for your phone. Turns your phone, your tablet, computer, basically into your, a mobile GPS. And you can use that app absolutely anywhere. So you can use it just like a GPS with or without cell service. So one of the features that I want to talk about within the Hunt app is the map layers feature, the trails and rec section. So there's five different layers within that. Recreation sites, trails, trail mileages, trail slope, and motor vehicle roads and trails. So the recreation site contains over 300,000 points of interest, including fishing access sites, campgrounds, trailheads, forest service cabins, ski areas, breweries, and more. And so you can turn that layer on and off whenever you want, uh, depending on what you're looking for. And then the trails also have over 400,000 miles of trails on land owned by the United States Forest Service, national parks, BLM, local and federal government, and even some private landowners. So a bunch of different data there. The trail mileage shows the, the differences between points. The trail slope really shows you with just color coding, you know, how steep something is or maybe something's easier, kind of gauge what you're getting into when you actually go into it. And lastly, the motor vehicle roads and trails. So Onyx has hosted roads and trails data from the United States Forest Service motor vehicle use maps. So it shows what type of vehicles are allowed on each trail. And this layer is available for off-grid use. can be really helpful. You know, some people take in e-bikes now. It seems to be a popular thing out west uh, or, or really anywhere. It gives all that data in there, whether it's side-by-side, ATV, or your regular vehicle. So anyways, the whole trails and rec layer system is super valuable, especially when you're planning your hunt and you can't get there ahead of time to kind of figure that out on your own. So if you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app, head over to onyxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW. That'll save yourself 20% off of the online app. And the University of Elk Hunting. So Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together a fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course. And from my own experience and from hearing from a bunch of listeners who have already tried out the course, it is extremely value-packed with everything from the beginning planning stages of the hunt all the way to when you're packing your meat out and everything in between. If you're wanting to learn the most elk hunting knowledge in just one place, I, I couldn't recommend it anymore. Like I said, I was a paying customer of Corey's from year one and still am all the way through. Just It keeps adding more information, and it's just so good to be able to go back and reference it. So if you head over to elk101.com, click on the University of Elk Hunting, and use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST, that'll save yourself 20% off of the online course. Tethered. So Tethered has basically changed the game, and this I'm not saying that lightly. They've changed the game when it comes to saddle hunting and lightweight gear for mobile hunting. So the saddle hunting game was new to me last year, and so I tried out the the tethered um, 
the predator platform and got to use the saddle out and well now this year the new phantom saddles out so i've been playing around with that but just really changes the game for being lightweight mobile and being able to hunt a little bit differently you really the the shot opportunities are endless from being able to hunt out of a saddle and i'm really excited to be able to use tethered system with the you know the platform only weighing just about three pounds of predator platform and then the saddle doesn't weigh really any more than your regular safety harness so you'd be carrying that anyways extremely lightweight and easy to use if you head over to tethernation.com you can find some more information on tethered's products as well as just saddle hunting in general and last but not least so i shared it a few weeks ago but i want to give you one last chance to check it out so uh, from our friends over at Exodus Trail Cameras. So Exodus is running, um, I guess, a campaign right now called Hashtag Velvet Fest. So it's the official start to deer season and kind of gets everyone rolling for the end of the summer scouting here. Um, so all the way up until August 21st. So it's only a few more days if you're listening to this right when it releases. There's some awesome prizes for anyone that uses Hashtag Velvet Fest on social media. And then also, if you're in the market for a new trail camera, you can also, every single order gets a random prize card that you'll have to scratch off to reveal the prize. So there's some really cool deals with that. And so coming into um, coming into week three here of Velvet Fest, they've already given away the 2021 20, October Archery Hunt with Steve Shirt Guide Service. If you're a long-time listener of the podcast, Steve was just on here a couple months ago. Um, week two is a shoulder mount from your taxidermy. And week three, which is still up in the air here, is a is a September archery hunt for this season with Wicked Obsession in Kentucky and a shoulder mount from National Award-winning Studio full-draw taxidermy. So any order from the website during this week will be eligible for that week three drawing. So there's a lot to this campaign. So make sure you head over to the website, look at the newsletter. And, and of course, Exodus is backed by the best warranty in the trail camera business. And they're running a five-year warranty that even comes with theft and damage coverage. So literally half a decade, you get the warranty on the Exodus cameras. I'm running, well, close to a dozen of them now. And, uh, I haven't had any fail besides the one that the bear took down, which that they, they replaced as a part of the, the warranty at half off. So anyway, head over to exodusoutdoorgear.com. Check that out. And yeah, so this is the last episode that I'll be releasing before I head to Alaska this Thursday. So on August 20th, I'm heading out for a caribou hunt with Michael Palladino my good buddy of mine, lifelong friend. And then also Justin Mueller is filming the hunt again, like he did the elk hunt last year. We're going to put together a full film, some little mini series stuff. Um, lots of, lots of stuff going on here. It's a scheduled nine day hunt. And I am just ecstatic. Just sent my COVID test in this morning. Um, had a mess with that, getting it, getting it overnighted to get shipped out because I have to have a negative COVID-19 test within 72 hours of arrival in Alaska, which is crazy to, um, for the turnaround time on that. But, uh, 
hoping that comes back good and we should be, you know, set to go. I just, I can't wait. Um, it, it's weird going on a hunt in August, but, uh, I'm, I'm ecstatic about it. And so the next episode, I still will release one next week, but it, um, I'll be recording it again, uh, probably tomorrow here. So I'll be recording it ahead of time. So hopefully I'll, I'm going to do the same thing as I did with my elk hunt and say, well, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, that, uh, I already have an elk on the ground. I'm hoping that's the same thing with caribou this year. So, uh, just, just can't wait to get, take off there. got all my bags packed. Just got to figure out how I'm going to pack my camera gear and my podcast equipment. We're going to record while we're up there. So that'll be fun. And another, I guess, update that I have as far as hunting seasons go, my cousin Mason Martonic, who was on the elk hunt last year with me, he's out in Utah right now with his brother Tyler. And Mason killed an awesome giant 4x4 muley on the first day of the Utah opener of his 14-day hunt, similar to, to my story last year with elk. But Mason has been trying for quite a while now to get it done and just put in the work and just keeps, he is obsessed with those fuzzy horn mule deer, you know, reminds me of Clint Casper when it comes to that. And, and he, uh, he got it done the first day, 40 yard double lung shot buck fell down off this cliff and he got down to it and just an awesome deer. Somehow it didn't, didn't get broken up. You can head over to my Instagram page now at the East meets West page and check that out. It's uh such an awesome deer. So congrats to, to Mason on that. And just lastly, I just want to say that I do have some new apparel over on the website. So I got some new, I don't know, may I call it the freedom series. It's a lot of um, flag type, my new flag type logo that uh, Jesse Lorenzo designed for me. So I got some cool new shirts over that way. Um, you can check that out. And also I'm, I'm doing a thing now that if you are an active duty, uh, you're active duty in the military, your first responder or your law enforcement, I'm giving you 10% off. So, that's on all orders. So send me an email at bow at eastmeetswesthunt.com and I'll get you your unique coupon code for for you guys and girls out there that I, I just really appreciate all of the you know work that you do and you know putting yourself out there to keep us safe and for us to be able to do the things that we do. It's because of you, your hard work, your long hours, and just your just pure bravery with things that is why we're able to do these things. So I want to make sure I give back on that sense. And that's just a small way of me being able to say that. But anyways, head over to eastmeetswesthunt.com slash shop, and you can check out all the apparel items. Uh, Most of them won't ship while I'm gone, but some of the new ones you'll see in the description, I'm having them shipped directly from the supplier. So those will go just as normal as if I'm, uh, as if I'm here. So anyways, uh, enough rambling on here for me. I've been talking for about 11 minutes. So, uh, let's get into this episode here with Jeremy Banfield from the Pennsylvania game commission. Ben, uh, been wanting to talk to Jeremy for a while about, uh, elk hunting and elk conservation in Pennsylvania and the two and the two go hand in hand here. So, uh, I did not draw my tag, by the way, as we talk about in here. 
I'm upset with you, Jeremy, for not pulling my name. But uh, anyways, really cool to learn about the history of the Pennsylvania elk, um, some of the conservation management plans, and how and describing how how to you know apply for the tags in the future and how the draw system works. So check that out, and hope all of you have a great week. All right, we're live, and tonight I have on the line Jeremy Banfield from the Pennsylvania Game Commission. Jeremy, it's uh, good to be able to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I had. Uh, it, it's funny. I, I I reached out to you recently due to an article that that I'm writing for the the Pennsylvania Wilds, and it just it was actually just an opportunity, or I guess kind of a, a kick kick in my ass to be able to reach out to you because I had been planning on it for a while to talk about the Pennsylvania elk herd and elk hunting and everything else. And, but before I get too deep into that, I, I want to just have you give a little bit of a, a background on yourself and, and who you are and kind of why I'm talking to you here. Yeah. Um, I, that's, that sounds good to me. Uh, I, I'm originally from Western New York, so I, I'm not a PA native. I know that's a, a ding <laughs> for some people, but, um, uh, I, I did four years in the military that took me from Alaska to Virginia to Michigan. And then I was a Michigan resident when I got out. So I, I did my undergrad, um, in, in fisheries and wildlife management at Michigan state university, which I know is also going to be a ding for some people for all the PSU grads out there. They're going to be like Michigan state, but, um, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> undergrad for Michigan state. And then after that, I, uh, I did a master's, um, in ecology at uh, the university of Alberta, actually in Canada. And um, my, my research there focused on mountain lion elk interactions. Um, and then I got a job with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, which is just like the Game Commission, only for the state of Montana. Was there for about a year. Um, re- really loved Montana. My wife did not. So uh, <laughs> started, started looking for other positions. And um, uh, this came up. And, and so I've been in Pennsylvania since 2013. Um, I, this is not an exaggeration. I probably have the best job in the game commission. Um, I, I really, it is not without challenges. It's not to say that I don't have bad days and things, but, uh, I, I really love my job. It is really, um, just kind of everything that I wanted to do as a biologist rolled into one. And, uh, and I, I really am sincere when I say that I, I have the best job in the game commission and I love it. So been here since 2013, um, Still feels new. I guess that's seven years now, but uh, doing well and got another 20 some years to go, probably 23, 25, somewhere in that range. But uh, yeah, that, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell me, tell me a little bit about what you do as far as what, what does an elk biologist do in the, the game commission? Yeah, that's a, oh, that's a good question. Oh, you're the elk biologist, right? That's cool. What do you, what do you actually do? <laughs> so um, that's a good question. Uh, if if I had to kind of summarize it in like one, two sentences, um, population management, habitat management, and then people management, those are the three things, like anything that I do on a given daily basis is either dealing with the elk population and what I mean by that are, are the numbers of animals out there. So uh, birth rates, death rates, how many are out there, survival, mortality, 
uh, all of those things would, would kind of fall under the umbrella of population dynamics. And so that's, that's one aspect of it. Uh, a lot of that is driven and, and supported by habitat. So, um, you know, we, we create habitat that is preferred by elk that elk need to survive and reproduce. And, um, you know, so that would be a, another really key component of it. And then people affect all of that, right? We manage wildlife and elk for people. Um, and so uh, that's the arguably the most challenging part. Um, is just trying to incorporate uh, the social aspect and, and, and the political aspect with the habitat, with the population. So that's a little bit of a, a, a convoluted uh, answer, but, you know, anything that I do on a given daily basis can fall loosely into one of those categories. And I'm sure that probably is a lot different than most other states. Like, say, like when you worked in, in Montana, uh, I, this is just me assuming, but I feel like you don't have as much human interaction or as, as much buzz around the elk as you do here in Pennsylvania? Yeah, it's um, slightly different structure. So every state's a little bit different, but uh, in Pennsylvania, we have species specialists. So I'm the elk biologist. There's, there's several deer biologists. There's a turkey, you know, there's a, um, a bear biologist. Uh, in Montana, it was a little more like a specific area. You know, this is my kingdom and, and uh, I'm the wildlife biologist for this area. And all the species in that would kind of fall under your purview. Um, but PA is a little bit different, uh, again, species specialist. So it's, it's uh, more master of one um, versus the, the jack of all trades. Yeah. Okay. I, I got you there. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And it's, it's funny because when I, when I talk to people from, you know, out of state and even different parts of Pennsylvania, either they kind of forget that we have elk in Pennsylvania or just don't know of it. It's just, it's a, it's kind of a crazy thing to, to think about. And I've grown up in, in the area my whole life. So I've, you know, been around them and exposed to them, but to a lot of people, that's kind of a, it's kind of a foreign thing. Yep. We did a, a survey, uh, or we asked a question as part of a survey. Um, I think last year is when it finished up, maybe it was a year and a half ago, but you know, just statewide, uh, sample from from the entire state and it was about 50 percent of the people in, in the state knew that we had elk so um yep part of my job over the next 10 years will be trying to increase that number and, and make sure that people are aware we've got a, a a pretty robust elk population yeah and that's uh i'm i'm sure that you know by expanding how many people know you know cr even almost creates challenges for yourself on its own as far as the like managing the the people side of it as well with that <laughs> it, it does and um you talked about that earlier that that's one thing that is very different about eastern versus western i mean the just the sheer number of people we have in the state uh in, in a smaller state than than a lot of the western states and at least montana um brings its own set of challenges it, it does but it's all it's all good uh you know people are, are passionate because they care and and that that's all that matters yeah that's great so I'd like to kind of hear a little bit of a, a you know brief history on the the Pennsylvania elk herd. You know when when that started and kind of how it's developed over the years. If you want to give kind of a, a high level version of that, yeah. Do you want me to go all the way back into extirpation and reintroduction? Yeah, let's let's hear it. Okay, there are hmm, roughly. 
somewhere around 1880s, 1890s, elk were extirpated from Pennsylvania, meaning the last one in Pennsylvania was killed. So, you know, up until that point, there were elk here, uh, pre-colonial, through a lot of the colonial settlement. And then, um, you know, right up until the late 1800s, somewhere in there, the last one was killed. There's a few conflicting accounts. Um, two different people claim they killed the last one. I don't know how anybody could possibly definitively say that they killed the last elk. But, uh, you know, somewhere around 1890, uh, elk are gone from PA. Stayed gone until 1913. 1913 um, uh, was the first reintroduction effort. 50 elk were brought in by rail from Yellowstone National Park um, and then put out in several different counties. Uh, an additional release was done in 1915, and then a few years passed, 1924, 1926, a few more were dumped out. So the simple thing to say there is between 1913 and 1926, 177 elk were brought in from various places, mostly Yellowstone, some from South Dakota, uh, some from actually private reserves, private uh, uh, herds that were held in Pennsylvania at that time, and, and released. Um, that population... At that time, anyway, and this is, you know, the, the accounts are not perfect. There's a lot of uh, confusion and, and, you know, there, it's, not, it's not clear how they were even assessing the population. But supposedly that population ballooned out to roughly 500-ish. And, um, and then it, it dropped down from there. So there was an early hunting season um, that, that ended in 1931. And then um, there's kind of this dark period from like the late 1930s into the, the early 70s where, you know, the elk were still here, but there wasn't a whole lot of attention being paid to them. Um, uh, nobody really knows how many there were. There are some estimates as low as 25. There's some estimates around 50. Um, there were not a lot of animals, but they hung on uh, by the skin of their teeth. And then, you know, early 1970s, uh, a renewed interest developed in, in Pennsylvania elk, um, started counting again, the early counts back and then were around 65 or 70 uh, early on. And um, through the 1980s, habitat improvements occurred. Um, those continued into the 90s. There was a lot of challenges with agricultural damage and elk getting into crops and, and being killed for crop damage and, and things like that. But um, long story short, that, that you know original population that bloomed out, shrunk down, and now is, is blown out again to roughly 1,300 animals. Um, our count this past year, so January, I'm sorry, no, it occurred in February and March, the, the latter part of February into the early part of March, we did an aerial survey and we ended up with about 1,334, I believe was the actual estimate. And there's there's error bars on that, you know, that um, range at anywhere from about 1,200 to 1,600. But co confidently I can say there's, you know, roughly 1,300 to 1,400 elk in the state now. And that's, that's a testament to, um, one, their their ability to hang on, and two, um, just the the ability of people to make a difference when they do care, right? Like when we when we started taking a renewed interest in it um, and improving the habitat, it, the population responded, and now we've got you know a solid habitat, or excuse me, a solid population that can support uh, an active hunting season. Yeah. So a couple questions I had just like as you were talking there. First, do you know why um, you know the I guess the area that they were dropped off was kind of chosen. Is that the, the main area where they lived prior or what was the reason for that? Um, so 
this is in the management plan if you wanted to look at the maps or anything. Cause I, I can't tell you which counties it was off the top of my head. They were released in, in like four or five different parts of the state state and, and like separate parts. Um, and a lot of those blinked out because they were too close to agricultural areas or, you know, just the elk got in trouble and then had to be killed or farmers killed them or something like that. And the one area that they held on was that north central part of the state that's that's pretty wild still. And, and back then, you know, it was extremely wild. Um, very little development, just logging camps and things like that. Um, so that's that's probably why that area was chosen and probably why that area is is kind of been the seed of our elk population today is, is that was where they were able to, to survive and hang on because there wasn't a lot of people there. There wasn't a lot of opportunity for them to get into trouble and, and conflict with people. Yeah, that uh, yeah that that makes sense. And when when you were talking about you know habitat improvements and stuff that have helped the the population, what are some of those habitat improvements that that you know that you guys have done to to improve that? Yep, that's an excellent question. So elk are primarily grazers, and I, I got to be cautious when I say that because um, they will browse. You know, they will. Uh, use browse as a, a food source but if grass um, or herbaceous habitat right so grasses forbs legumes if that stuff is available that's what they're going to key in on uh, northern pennsylvania north central pennsylvania really wants to be mature trees it, it just wants to be mature forest um, you know that's kind of where the successional process takes it and so we as the the management agency and um um, you know, the, the creators of habitat have to do something to set back that successional process. So um, basically putting in herbaceous areas, uh, grassland, meadows, whatever you want to call them, you know, keeping that grassland component on the landscape so that it's available for elk is, is really the key there. Uh, if you've been to the Benazet area, like the Winslow Hill area, that's, that's a lot of reclaimed strip mines. So reclaimed strip mine makes wonderful elk habitat because it's, it's been put into grass and, and reclaimed you know, with an herbaceous um, uh, foundation, and, and that's what provides, you know, good habitat for elk. So Kentucky would be another example. Um, you know, they've got counties upon counties that have been stripped and reclaimed in Kentucky, and, and that's where they chose to put their elk population, and it's done done very well. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes, uh, you know, a ton of sense there. And, and, you know, even thinking from myself, you know, hunting out West and stuff, most of the places where you're seeing the elk feeding are on those in the meadows and the grassy hillsides and, and everything there. And, and, you know, they'll bed in the timber, but most of the feeding seems to be going on, you know, in those open areas. Yeah. And that's, that's a good analogy. Like that, that stuff occurs very naturally in the Western landscape. They don't have to work as hard to keep it out there. Um, in Pennsylvania, you know, we've, we've got to keep that successional setback uh, going to, or, or soon it'll turn into a shrub community and eventually it'll turn into young forest and eventually it'll turn into uh, mature forest, which again is not great elk habitat. So um, that's probably one of the biggest challenges uh, or and differences between Western elk and Eastern elk. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Pennsylvania, no matter where you go, the, the forests seem to be, you know, thick and until they, you know, grow up into the mature hardwoods. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a different landscape than, than you have in the, in the Western states. So I can, I can appreciate the, the challenges there that, that you have to, to deal with. 
But um, so, all right. So talked a little bit, you know, about habitat there and, you know, the history of the elk and how they've, the, the population has come back so strong. What, what does your management plan? Like what, what kind of goals do you have currently to, to continue that or, or, or sustain it? What does that kind of look like? Yeah. Um, so we just recently finished up our, our manage our most recent management plan. It goes from 2020 to 2025, uh, approved in April of this past year. And, and really what that is, is just the guiding document on, you know, how are we going to manage elk over the next five years? And, and five years from now, we'll, we'll refine that and, and essentially repeat that document with new information, hopefully from different research projects. But in a nutshell, you know, that's going to govern um, how our hunt is going to be run over the next five years, you know, what kind of goals we have for habitat management, um, what kind of goals we have for research, uh, for educating the public and trying to increase, you know, awareness and interest in elk. Um, all of that stuff is rolled into that, that, that single plan. And, um, that's, that's a public document, you know, it's out there for everybody that to, uh, to read. And it, it, uh, um, there was a public involvement process when we wrote it as well. So, you know, it's not like we just dictate this stuff and, and don't involve the public in that. Um, but essentially for lack of a better term, you know, that management plan is, is the guiding document that we use to manage elk in Pennsylvania for the next five years. Okay. And is that what you're asking for? Or do you want to go into like more of that? I, I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into it. Just, um, more or less, uh, you know, uh, surrounding the the population and kind of the the zones that they live in, because it seems like they're kind of, you know, in, in a certain area. You know, I guess I'm I'm loading up the questions here, but first off, let's talk about like what what stops them from expanding, or maybe there isn't anything that stops them from expanding their zone. But can you kind of explain that a little bit? Yeah, um, so we do have an elk management area. Um, and, and, you know, the boundaries of that are outlined in, in the management plan. Uh, I can quick rattle them off. Um, but it, on the very Western side, it'd be us 219, carry that all the way up to us six across the top. So that's the Northern boundary us six, um, Eastern boundary is going to be PA 287. And then it picks up a little bit of 220 and then interstate 80 at the bottom. If you drew that box, um, and for hunters, that's, that's all of two H and most of two G. Um, if you drew that, that kind of box, that's our elk management area. That's where we'd like to see elk stay within the state of Pennsylvania. It's only about two thirds occupied at the moment. So there is room to grow to the North and East. Um, and the reason that area was chosen as, as the, as our elk management area is it's got a very low percentage of agriculture. Um, elk can be really hard on agriculture. I always tell people it's one thing to have five little whitetails in your cornfield. It is something completely different to have five elk in your cornfield. So trying to keep them out of agricultural areas and basically trying to keep them on public land. So that area is greater than 70% public land. Um, and, and that's where we're trying to keep the elk. So they stay out of trouble and then they're available for, for hunting opportunities as well. Um, what keeps them there is a, is a different question. It's probably a combination of habitat improvements. So, you know, using uh, preferred habitat and creating that preferred habitat to, to vacuum them into those areas and, and keep them there. Um, and then the other thing is, generally speaking, 
and you can include this or not, but generally speaking, when elk leave the elk management area, they get into trouble uh, with, with farmers and then they get killed for crop damage. So it's legal to kill elk for crop damage. And that law is pretty liberal. It, it's up to the farmer what, what they consider damage. Uh, or two, they end up getting smoked on the road. So yeah. along with that pub, public land component, um, there's a, how do I say this? Road density is correlated with public land, and it, it's much lower in areas with that have a lot of public land versus, you know, the, the privately owned areas have a much higher road density. So it's just probability of being killed on the road is a lot higher when you leave that area. Yeah, that 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 makes total sense, and and you know, especially with the the farm country, and and you know, and I've I've spent a decent amount of time personally through the the elk management area, and and yeah, and you have this information readily available, like you said, to the public online. You can see these zones that Jeremy's talking about, but I, I know, like when I've hunted more of the eastern side and spent time in there, you know, I hadn't seen as many elk, but one thing I noticed was that area didn't have as many of the, you know, the, the food plots or the, or, you know, the, the fields and the habitat improvements there to, to keep them more. It's seemed to be more of just, you know, unbroken timber rather than the areas where they're concentrated at that have a little bit more of that diversity. Yeah. And, and that's coming slowly, right? Like, um, and, and don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I don't want to go blowing in there and, 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 knocking down all the mature timber and, and taking out Pennsylvania's forest to put in grass. Um, but what I would say is that slowly over time, hopefully we can intersperse some of that mature timber with, with more of those herbaceous openings um, and try and move those animals naturally into that, that Northeastern section. So Susquehannock state forest, um, a little more Sproul state forest, that, that area there uh, trying to, to move elk into there um, naturally, you know, not, not, picking them up and moving them, but just allowing them to, to find their way out there, um, on their own, but, but using habitat to move them. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes, that makes total sense. Um, is, as far as the, the population goes, um, are you, are you working to increase that as, as they expand their areas or is it pretty healthy where it's at or what, what does that kind of look like? Yeah, that's, that's always a good question. I'm going to give you the, the PC answer. So everybody's, uh, actually, everybody, what, what, one of the common questions is, um, you know, what, what's the target? Where, do we have some target population out there? And, and my uh, masterfully crafted government employee answer is uh, within the available habitat and within the social acceptance is where we would like to keep that population. So there's no magic number. Um, I will say that everybody, not everybody, got to be careful about that. Um, right now, Pennsylvania residents are are into elk, man. I mean, elk is cool. Um, people are interested. And generally speaking, you know, the, the Commonwealth uh, wants more elk. Um, so the social acceptance is there, especially if we can keep them on public ground and, and out of some of the, the conflict areas. Uh, the habitat is coming. So yes, over the next, you know, 10 to 20 years, I would love to see our population potentially double. You know, if we could go from 1,400 elk to 28 or 3,000 elk and, and we were taking, you know, 300 to 350 of them a year through our hunt, that would be, you know, a great accomplishment. And I'd, I'd be very proud of that as a, as a career, you know, accomplishment. Yeah, no, I, I'm following you there. And 
I'll tell you one thing, just it's, it's really, it's really cool to, to be able to, when I'm hunting whitetails and stuff in areas that have elk, especially in, you know, in the beginning of the archery season in October, when, when they're still, you know, kind of at the tail end of the, the rut there and bugling and doing everything else, it's, it's a really incredible experience. And, you know, when I'm, even when I'm running trail cameras and stuff, then I, all of a sudden I have a, a big bull on my camera that I had, you know, set out for, for whitetails, but it's a, it's a, it's a, just a really neat thing to, to be able to see that. Where are you hunting most? I mean, that's a <laughs> hey. question. I guess no, yeah, but like, we'll talk like, about that offline. Where, where, <laughs> <laughs> like, what what elk zone? Do you know the elk zones? What elk zone are you hunting deer in? Um, uh, I, I don't even know if I can say that. <laughs> All right, we'll, I, let that, we'll let that go. We'll yeah, let we'll, that go. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that after after we get done recording. But <laughs> All right. All right. yeah, All right. that's good. I, I I to be honest, I I split up through a lot of the elk zones and I'd hunt all over, but, um, you know, in the areas that I hunt, I would say, I would say closer to like the concentration of them. Um, uh, I'm not even sure what zones those are, but those ones I'm running into elk, you know, quite a bit more, but even, even on the outskirts of like, not just, I'm not hunting, you know, in Benazette or anything, but on the outskirts, I'm still running into them more and more. And it's, it's, it's really cool to, to be able to, to see that. Like I said, it's just, I, I can remember a day last October, it was early season and I was, there was some, um, some of the food plots down in the, the lower country below me. And I was kind of up on this ridge and all I could hear was just the valley echoing with bugles and everything else. And, and actually it was, it was funny. I could see, I mean, it was, it was quite a ways off this big Oak Ridge. I could see this one, plot there and there was a couple bulls out there bugling and on the opposite side there were a few coyotes and they started howling at the same time it was it was incredible to see them one both in the same same field there and just it was just a really cool experience that that is all that probably sends chills down your spine type of thing that's that's a really neat uh neat experience for sure yeah so um yeah, it's it's a uh, it's cool. Uh, again, most people think it's it's cool. Obviously, not everybody does, um, and that's understandable. You know, elk can can get into trouble and cause damage, and and um, uh, that's part of it as well. Yeah, I yeah I, I I can understand maybe some of the people that are are living right in the the middle of it might might think a little bit differently than than I do about it. But when they're yeah, when they have their plants. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a there's a disparity between you know those that live with the elk and, and those that don't, um, and that's understandable. Yep. Okay, so I, I want to shift gears a little bit here um, and talk about hunting elk in Pennsylvania and and some of the opportunities there because just from you know my outside perspective and viewing here, I mean the opportunities have grown, especially in the last year to to be able to hunt elk and adding seasons and I'd, I'd like for you to give kind of a um a, a background on that one kind of how it got got to that point or why it changed um as part of your management plan and you know what that looks like for hunters that want to to hunt elk mpa yeah absolutely so um quick quick introduction there or quick history uh 2001 was when 
you know, elk hunting was brought back to Pennsylvania. I mentioned earlier that there was a season early on in the early part of the century, 1920s, 1930s. Um, and there wasn't any hunting up until between then and, and, and 2001. So 2001, um, brought back the hunting season. We've had a hunting season every year since then. Uh, it's traditionally been the first full week of November, a six day season. So a week long season, um, and everything's been packed into there. Uh, 2019. So last year we added in, um, a two week archery season during the rut. So during the last two weeks of September, and then as well as a late season that occurs the first part of January. And the motivation behind that was, was trying to break up or trying to spread some of the pressures, trying to spread some of the opportunity, um, across time and, um, across the seasons to, uh, just give, people a better experience, right? We, we were increasing the number of tags. Um, and it got to the point where you couldn't pack any more people into a certain zone during that six day season. Uh, elk are not scattered. You know, they're not ubiquitously spread across the landscape the way that whitetails are. So they're, they're a herding species. You have to find the elk and hunt them where they are. And, uh, we, we didn't want people, you know, crowding up and, and everybody shooting at the same group of elk or something like that. So, Really, the goal there was just to spread that that opportunity and spread that pressure out across multiple seasons. And and adding the archery season, I mean, I am so that archery season is so awesome. If you ask me, I mean, during the rut, last two weeks of September, um, it does not get a whole lot more exciting than that. That is that is super cool. So um, that one was brought in uh, to, to provide that opportunity, and then adding in the late season as well. Um, the late season is currently only is cow only, uh, but you know, hunting elk in the snow or being able to track elk through snow, hopefully there's snow in January. Can't, can't always predict that, but at least the opportunity is there. Um, and, and, and that's a cool experience as well. So, uh, overall, each one of those three seasons, uh, has its own set of, has it, 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 they're all on a lottery, right? So each one of those seasons has its own set of applications, its own drawing, um, and then its own bonus point structure. Yeah. Pause there. Do you do you want me to go into that? Yeah, I, I would. Um, because it's it's different than than any other state, at least that I've applied for. I mean, I, I I apply for states all over across the West and build points and stuff. And I love that in Pennsylvania, which you'll explain here, but that you can essentially accumulate uh, bonus points per season rather than just in general. And, and I think that's a, a really, really unique way of it. And I, I think that's, it's awesome and just really expands the opportunities. Yep. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'll kind of, hopefully I'll just spring off here and you can piece this together later on. But um, the best thing I can say right there is each, each season, each one of those seasons, early archery general, and then late, are their own unique structures. So uh, they don't intermix. If you apply for the archery season, you are not put in for the general season. You're not put in for the late season. You can apply for all three seasons. You have to pay the application fee every time. So it's $11.90 to apply for one season. Um, You could apply for two seasons. You could apply for all three seasons. It'd be $35.70. You can only be drawn for one. Um, and they're drawn in that the order that they occur. So the archery season gets drawn first, the general season gets drawn next, the, the late season gets drawn last. 
if you put in for all three seasons, you're pulled for the archery season, boop, you're out for the general or the, the late season. Um, along with that, though, uh, the, you gain a bonus. There's, there's a bonus point structure for each season. And before I dive into that, let me just say this real quick. Um, there is this confusion about preference point system versus bonus point system. Um, I still hear people saying preference points in Pennsylvania. That, that's a little bit of a misnomer. We don't. There is a difference, right? So a, a preference point system, a true preference point system, is like where you would gain a certain number of points, and then you're you're pretty much guaranteed a tag, right? So the tags are only given to that upper cohort to have, you know, the maximum number of points or some set number of points. Um, we don't have that. We have a, a true bonus point system, and how that works is the bonus points act as a multiplier. So every bonus point that you have throws your name in the hat an additional time for the number of times that you have, you know, as many bonus points as you have, that's the minute, the number of times that your name goes into the hat. And that effectively bumps the probability that you're going to draw. So each one of those seasons has its own bonus point structure. Um, and those things don't intermix either. Right. So if you put in for the archery season, you gain points for the archery season, those points only apply for the archery season in the future. Same thing for general, same thing for late. And the, the benefit of that then is that if you draw, your points are zeroed out for the season that you drew in, but your points for the remaining seasons stay. And this can get, it can get confusing and, and I, I don't want to mess people up too much here, but um, quick example, uh, the maximum number of bonus points that you could have for that general season would be 17 this year. In 2020, if you put in every single year, you could have 17 bonus points plus your current application. Your name would go in the hat 18 times because we started the, the uh, archery season in the late seasons last year, the maximum number of bonus points you could have for those seasons is one. So um, it'd be bonus point for last year. Plus this current year's application, your name would go in the hat two times. And if you drew for the general season, your points are going to zero out, right? You got a tag. Um, your points will zero out. If you pull a, t a cow tag, you can start gaining points again the following year. If you pull a bull tag, you got to wait five years. But your points for the archery season and the, the late season are unaffected, right? So each, again, each one is its own silo, its own um, structure, its own thing, and they, they don't intermix. Uh, you can apply for all three, but you can only be pulled for one. Yeah, that that was a little bit of a it's a whirlwind there. Do you want me to try that one more time or no? No, that's perfect. That's uh that that is that you explained it really well because that's something I mean even myself I've struggled with, you know, figuring out what the the western states with bonus points and preference points and some do both and there's there's all these different, you know, avenues there but in my opinion, in my opinion, I, I like the bonus point structure better than a preference point because it gives everybody an opportunity at it versus just the people that have been putting in forever. Like I know, like say in Colorado, in my lifetime, there's a there's a good chance I'll never draw those top units because I'm so far behind in that preference point structure. Just point creep keeps coming in and it takes longer and longer to be able to draw. And, you know, if you look at the numbers, I, I really don't think there's an opportunity there where with, with this structure, I mean, you have an opportunity with no points, um, but you just have a little bit better one. If you've been putting in for, you know, X amount of years, because I, I think for me personally, I have eight points in the general season 
and then you know just one in the in the archery in the late season because of um that you know that just came into play last year so that um yeah i i I think you explained that really well and i think it can be you know a, a little bit confusing to some i i wrote an article last year on my website about it i actually kind of broke it down from from uh game commission website and everything and and kind of put it in my own terms on there as far as like when you're looking at you know applying for elk and what that all means and i I think that like i said i i I really like that structure for it and i I think you did a good job explaining it yeah and and you're right you know i mean you every year i shouldn't say every year yeah it seems like every year at least one person is like, yeah, this is the first year I put in and I pulled the tag and I'm just like, well, man, the odds were against you, but you got, you got really lucky there. So yeah, <laughs> obviously the odds are better if you have a greater number of points. Um, but somebody that, that puts in for the first time still, still is in the hat the, the same way. It's just, they're not in the hat as many times as, as somebody with a greater number of points is, but, uh, yeah, it, there was one more thing I was going to say there. Oh, so just so I've said it, um, there's, there's only two things that affect your odds. First of all, we get, um, lots of criticism over, over the odds. You know, you got better odds of being struck by lightning. You got better odds of (laughs) of winning lotteries, stuff like that. Um, the odds are not as bad as, as, uh, a lot of people think. So I've, I've got the, the 2019 odds calculated out. I think that's on our, our website. Um, it's, I don't know it off the top of my head without looking, but it's, it's the worst you could have done would have been a first time applicant choosing bull only. I think it was like one in 8,000. And then the best you could have done would have been somebody that has the maximum number of bonus points and they went either sex. And I think it was one in 80, but the two things that, that affect your odds are one, the bonus points like we're already talking about, um, you know, more bonus points, better odds. And the other thing is whether you go bull only cow only either sex, um, so obviously bull only has the worst odds. You're only putting yourself in the hat for, you know, the, the limited number of bull tags that there are cow only is in the middle. You're only putting yourself in the hat for the, the, the number of cow tags that are out there. Either sex is the best because you're putting yourself, you know, in the drawing for the, for every single tag that, that is, that is pulled out. Um, so those combined with your, with your points are what affect your odds overall. Uh, so you know, a lot of people do only want a bull. That's fine. If you only want a bull, go bull only. If you just want to kill an elk, pick either sex. It's got the best best odds. And the other thing is the hunt zone preference. So there's 14 hunt zones. Hunt zone one is open to anybody with a valid tag. Hunt zone seven is is open to nobody because it has an allocation of zero bulls and zero cows. It's the area around uh, the visitor center and around that Winslow Hill area. And we're just, you know, we don't want, we don't want to put tags in there because it'll, it'll just cause problems. Um, so two through six, um, eight through 14, any of those zones could be chosen as a preference, but it's, it's a preference. It has no effect on your odds of being drawn whatsoever. All it does is if that zone is available, when you're drawn, you get it. If you, if that zone is not available, when you're drawn, you randomly get bumped to the next open zone. So once you're drawn, you're drawn. And the, the hunt zone preference is, it's just a preference. It's just like, this is what I would prefer. Um, you know, but it doesn't affect your odds of, of being drawn. So if you, uh, some people will pick no preference because they think it gives them better odds. It, it actually doesn't, it, it does nothing. Um, it actually behooves you to pick something 
unless you truly do not care. So if you've got a camp up there, you've got a buddy that has a camp, um, you know a certain zone better than a, another zone, pick it. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt anything. Uh, unless you truly, truly do not care which zone you get, go no preference. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I, I think that's a really good thing that you noted there. Cause I mean, I, I remember when I first looked at it, I'm like, oh, well, this, you know, this zone I'd like to hunt, but they only have a couple, t- uh, you know, bull tags available where this one has a few more. And, you know, what's, you know, what are my odds there? But once I, you know, read into it a little more and saw that, you know, you just get picked for the next zone, then it doesn't really matter. It's just once your name gets drawn, um, then the, the next, you, if your preference is open, you'd get it, correct? And then if it doesn't, you get the next available one. That, that's absolutely right. So if you're the first person drawn out of the hat, you're going to get whatever zone you selected for your preferred zone. We got 164 tags this year. If you're number 163, eh, chances are you're, you might not get your, your preferred zone, but you're, just gonna, you're still going to get a tag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and obviously all the zones that are available that have tag allocations have elk, or there there wouldn't be allocations for the tags there, correct? Correct. Yep, and we can talk about that um, real quick. So the allocation, the annual tag allocation, is based on two things. The first and, and primary one is population, and it is calculated on a zone by zone basis. So um, you know you'll notice zones with greater number with a greater number of elk have a, a proportionally higher number of tags. Uh, and then the second component of that is, is human elk conflicts. So areas that, uh, you know, elk are getting beyond what I would call the social caring capacity or the social acceptance. We'll try and reduce those populations areas with consistent agricultural damage. You know, we're, we're trying to keep that population at the point where it's sustainable and, and balanced with the, the farmers in the area and stuff like that. So trying to reduce populations in areas of, of high human elk conflict and, and allow them to grow a little bit more in areas where they don't get into trouble. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. And, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong, but like the, at least from what I see is one, Pennsylvania has arguably some of the, the, the biggest antlered bulls in the the country uh, you know from from that standpoint and just about all of the zones have potential for if you're looking at it from a you know a trophy standpoint that they have all have the the capability of producing that Uh, agreed um we have big bulls because our age class is high. Um, you know, I, I said earlier, we've got a population of roughly 13 to 1400. Um, you know, we, we killed like 26 last year, this year, I think it's 36. So that's not a lot. Uh, we are, we are very, we have a very limited, uh, bull harvest. And the result of that or the consequence of that is that our age class can, can get older. Um, the average age of, of a bull killed in Pennsylvania is six. Uh, those big, you know, 400 class bulls are usually eight, nine, 10 years old, sometimes 11. Um, so point being, they can, they can live long enough to make it to the age where, um, antler structure is, is peaked. Uh, and, and that's ultimately what gives us that, that, um, you know, pretty consistent, uh, very, very mature bull class out there. And then along with that, yeah, they're, they're, um, fairly, evenly distributed across the elk population. So in every single zone, there's the potential to kill uh, a 400 class bull, which is, 
which is freaking crazy. Um, yeah. You know, for, for people that aren't into score or don't know what I'm talking about, uh, um, like if you've ever heard of a 200 inch whitetail, you know, that's, that's insane. And the counterpart to that in elk would be a, a 400 inch bull. So uh, 380 is record. Like most people would look at a 350 or even a 320 sometimes and be like, Oh, I'm killing that thing. It's, it's done. Um, but 380 is record book. And then anything over, over 400 is, uh, sick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> that's yeah. That's, that's incredible. One, one question that, that I had back when you're talking about the applications, um, for the, the application fee, is that the same for resident and non-resident? Yes. Um, so the, um, yes. The application fee is the same for non-residents or, or residents. It's $11.90. Um, you don't have to have a hunting license or anything like that. If you're pulled, you know, if you're drawn, uh, then you've got to buy, buy the elk license. It's $25 for residents. It's $250 for non-residents. They would also have to buy the, the, the general hunting license as well. Um, so it's, it's still relatively inexpensive. Uh, again, you can include this or not include it. I'll leave it up to you. But just so I've said it, we, we get uh, criticized a little bit over, over the non-resident thing. Um, there's a lot of people that, that are, are pretty possessive over Pennsylvania's elk and they think it should be resident only. Um, one of the foundational principles behind wildlife management is that wildlife are held in public trust. They belong to everybody. Uh, and that includes residents and non-residents. And, and it's that foundation itself that allows Pennsylvania hunters to go to other states and hunt elk. Um, you know, you're going to Alaska soon. It's, you're a non-resident in Alaska. So it's the same idea that, that non-residents um, have equal probability of, of drawing a tag. Uh, all of that said, it ends up being like 4 to 5% on an annual basis of the non-residents that get tagged. So, um, you know, people will point out that other states have 10% caps. I mean, we could make a 10% cap, but it wouldn't do anything because we've never reached 10% of, of uh, our tags going to non-residents. So on average, it's, it's like 5% that go to non-residents. So mm, okay. it's certainly not a strong piece of it, but um, it is, uh, it, it's it's still part of the principles of wildlife management that wildlife belong to everybody. And so, um, yeah, you know, it, at the moment, it's that idea that allows Pennsylvania residents or yeah, Pennsylvania hunters to go to other states. And the same same idea that allows them to come to our state and hunt our elk. Yeah, and I think that's great. Like I said, I've I've got to hunt elk in a few different states now and everything, and I would be pretty upset if I couldn't do that. So as much as you know, I I want to uh, to increase my own odds. That's just a selfish way of looking at it. Um, in in my opinion, it it needs to be you know all the way across the board. And and for non residents, I mean that's a that's a pretty sweet deal for um, $250 to, to get the elk license if they do draw, which is, you know, essentially a, th a third, if not a quarter of, you know, what non-resident prices are for you know, other, you know, Western States. Yep. It's, it's definitely cheap. And, and, um, again, there's, they're the minority in the pool. So are they affecting your odds? Yeah, I guess. Um, but it's, it's pretty negligible in the actual amount that they're affecting your odds just because there's not a lot of them in the, the drawing. So, um, 
yeah, take take that or leave it. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think that's I think I'm I'm glad you you touched on that a little bit there, and that, that's it gives opportunities to everyone, which it I I believe it should, um, you know, across the board, and that opens up opportunities for you know Pennsylvania residents to hunt out of state and vice versa. So, I I think that's good. Is is there anything else as far as from the the elk hunting side of things that that you think we should cover or talk about? No, I mean we talked about the application, some of the common questions, confusions. Um, no, I mean un- unfortunately our application period is closed for this year. So hopefully, you know, you already got into it. Hopefully everybody already got into it. Um, drawing is coming up on the 15th. Uh, that is, that is normally held at the elk expo. We don't have an elk expo this year. Unfortunately it was canceled, um, like everything else, but, uh, it, we're still going to do the drawing on the, on the 15th. So, you know, really hope that I, I pull somebody's name that's listening right here. <laughs> yeah, that would be, that'd be cool. And, and I'm really hoping that's my name, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, of, of course, I said that. yeah, I hope it, I hope it is as well. That'd be awesome. <laughs> you know, what's funny is every year. Okay. So, you know, there's, there's 40,000 to 50,000 people that put in for, for the, uh, application every year. And if you, when I first started this in 2013, seven years ago, if you had asked me how many people are going to be at the drawing that that win, I would have said zero, man. Like, what are the odds of that? Like, who of of those forty thousand, fifty thousand people? What are the odds that you know any of them are going to be at the drawing? I, I'm telling you, every single year, at least one person is there that gets drawn, and they always go crazy, and it's it's uh you know super exciting. I think one year we had three people that were in the audience when we did the drawing. Um, and, and one of them, one year was an Amish guy and his last name was Yoder. And like, when it popped up on the screen, he started going nuts. And I was like, are you really sure that's you? That's like every Amish person out there has the last name of Yoder. So like, how do you know that's you? you know? <laughs> that is funny. Uh, I, and, but, that, yeah. it, and if I know it's not going on this year, but if anyone ever gets a chance to go to that elk expo, I've gone just about every year for the last five years. And, and it's, it's incredible. And to hear the, the names being drawn there live. I mean, I know again, with the, the circumstances this year, that's not possible, but it is, I, it is really cool. And, uh, the energy there is, is unmatched. <laughs> yes. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's, uh, you know, I think I, I often introduce the, uh, drawing and I usually start off by saying that, that today is my favorite day of the year. And, and that's sincere, you know, like it's a, it's, it's one of my favorite days of the year that, that we do that. And, and it's very exciting for all those people that basically get a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. And so this, this episode is going to release just a couple days after that. So there's, there's a chance that, you know, I'm announced at the beginning that I, that I drew the tag. So that's what, uh, that's what I'm, ban- <laughs> that's what I'm banking on here. Or maybe, or maybe someone listening, uh, did. And that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Did, do you, do you apply yourself, Jeremy? Yeah. Um, okay. There is no legal reason that I can't, as in there's no regulation that says, Oh, the elk biologist cannot apply. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't put in for the true season. Like I don't put in for any of the seasons themselves only because I am terrified. Like if I did get drawn, I could just, I can hear the conspiracy theories right now. 
Um, I, I have to be at the check station, you know, during the season. So it would cause problems there. Long story short, there's a point only option. I should have mentioned earlier, there is a point only option. Um, so if you, you knew for some reason you couldn't hunt this year, you know, we'll gladly take your $11 and 90 cents and just give you the point. So that's what I do. I put in for, for the points and I, I'm, I'm building my points. And then by the time I retire, um, you know, the game commission can't tell me what to do anymore. And, and I will have accrued a, a large number of points and I will have intimate knowledge of the elk range by that time. And I will cash those in and, and try and pull a tag at that point. So yeah, I, I put in kind <laughs> of, but not really, you know, yeah. I, I get, I get the point. Yeah. I, I was, I was going to say that, that, that'd be a tough, that'd be a tough thing for you because it's like, Oh, you know, I, I won, I got the tag and then it's like, Oh no, I got to deal with all this additional, <laughs> um, like you said, conspiracy theories and everything else that comes along yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and this year I'm going to be reading the names and I mean, you can only imagine if like I read my own name, I just, yeah, just, I could, <laughs> it just would not go over well. Yep. Um, just so, drop the yeah, mic and walk away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But I hope I pull your name. That'll be awesome. That'd be super exciting. Cool. And then, then there'll be conspiracy theories there, but, uh, I, I don't care. So that's true. <laughs> that's, that's true. yeah, yeah. Um, they'll blow over. Yeah, exactly. All right. So I, I do want to, to, to switch gears again here a little bit and talk about the, the new, um, campaign, if you call it, uh, elk smart, I want to hear about that and kind of the reasons behind it and what it's, what it's all about. Yeah. Um, and you could call it a campaign. You could call it an initiative. Uh, I, I'm not, I, I guess we call it a campaign, but, um, elk smart is in one sentence, the idea that, uh, um, you know, we want to keep Pennsylvania's elk wild. So we want people to um, recognize that they have a shared responsibility in, in keeping Pennsylvania's elk wild and, and doing what they can to do that. And uh, along with, you know, that, that uh, umbrella of elk smart, we, we've come up with four points. Um, ha ha ha. See what I did there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> that was a bad one. But, uh, <laughs> I, I laughed. The, the four, the four points of, of Elk's part are the first is just, um, don't, don't give them space, right? Like you don't need to be 20 feet from the animal to have a positive experience with it. Um, elk are wild. They, they can be unpredictable. Uh, nobody's been attacked yet. Uh, in, in national parks, everywhere else in the country, um, you know, people have been attacked by elk. And um, I, I really hope it never comes to that in Pennsylvania. But, you know, just just give elk as much space as possible. Um, so uh, the second one is, is don't feed elk. Right. Like that goes along with um, giving them space. Right. We don't want to pull elk unnaturally close to people. And, and when you feed animals, it it positively reinforces them. So. Um, it is illegal as well. I should say that, but, uh, so, you know, give them space, don't feed them, don't name them. Um, this one can be tough for people. And, and I know we, you know, we want to, we want to be attached to the animals. We want to personify them. We're people, right? So like we, we have a natural instinct to personify, um, um, wild animals as well. But when you do that, it, it steals something from them, right? So it, it takes away from their their wild nature and their essence by, by putting human characteristics on them. And, 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 you know, we, we, we love elk and we, we think they're awesome because they're wild. Right. And because they're, they're independent from us, they're not tied to us. 
And so when you name animals, you, you steal some of that and, and you, you degrade that, that wild nature. Um, and then the last part is, is doing your part, right? So uh, we, the Game Commission and, and, and all of our partnering um, uh, organizations that are, that are part of ElkSmart, uh, we can't be everywhere at once. You know, we can't be the, 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 the elk police or anything like that. So we're just asking everybody to share in that responsibility. If you see somebody doing things that you don't think they should be doing or, or, or feeding or naming or, or, you know, approaching elk too close, say something, right? Like uh, you, you have a, a responsibility to keep, keep PA elk wild. So um, this has got to, it, it's going to depend on, on everybody working together and everybody kind of policing everybody else. To, to make this be successful. So do your part. You see something, say something, um, and, and please help us, you know, accomplish this mission together. You know, if I can expand on that a little bit, it's just, uh, I already talked about kind of the, the independence and we want to maintain that independence, but we don't want, you know, long-term, we don't want elk to uh, be portrayed as zoo animals. You know, we want future generations, my kids, your kids, you know, their kids to have a wild elk population. Um, and so that, that depends on our actions right now, right? Like everything that we're doing now is going to have an impact into the future. And, um, and, and that's really the goal of Elk Smart in, in a nutshell is just trying to make sure that everybody has a shared responsibility, um, you know, keep them distance, don't feed, don't name and do your part. Those are the four, four pieces of it. And, and the goal is just to keep our elk as wild as we can. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think it's a great, um, you know, initiative there or, or campaign or whatever you want to call it that, um, you know, with, you know, just, yeah, as you see, you don't want it to turn into something like you see in Yellowstone and having, like you said, interactions that hurt the wildlife, hurt people, everything else. I, I can understand that and respect it. Yeah. And that, you know, that's a great point as well. And I, I didn't mention that, but this is really, it's two things. It's trying to keep people safe, um, but also trying to keep the elk safe. And uh, I said earlier, nobody's ever been attacked. Um, they haven't yet. But the unfortunate part here is that if, if somebody ever does get attacked, you know, we as the game commission, we're, we're going to have a responsibility then to, to euthanize that animal because we can't, we're not going to be able to risk it happening again, right? Once it happens once, um, the chances of it happening again have now increased and, and we can't take that, that risk. So, you know, when you have those type of interactions, when you have that type of conflict, um, the wildlife loses every time, right? We can't euthanize the person. So we're going to have to, to go in and, and, and remove the elk in that case. So, um, you know, elk smart is, is designed to keep, people safe, but also keep elk safe long-term. And I, I hope we never have to do that. I hope we never see an attack. Um, there's, there's been some close calls. There's been some vehicles that have been pretty messed up um, and, and smashed in pretty hard. And, and uh, I, I just hope that never translates into somebody getting injured or, or hurt. Yeah. I, 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 I think that's a, that's a good, good way to cap in that one. Cause like you said, there's, it, it's, it's pretty easy to, I guess, to be around them in, in certain areas within elk, the elk zones and the elk country there that, uh, yeah, do your part and, and be smart with it, <laughs> I guess is, uh, yeah. I guess is a, a, a simple way of putting it. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. So, but yeah, we're, we're going to be kicking that off here soon. Um, we'll have t-shirts, we'll have yard signs, uh, you know, everything's got, you got the elk smart logo on it and, 
and our goal is to just yeah, get the word out there as much as possible and and um again hopefully get a, a grassroots uh, uh embracement of of this program and um and, and this podcast is part of it yeah well i yeah, I appreciate you, you talking to me about that and everything else with, you know, Elkin, Pennsylvania. And I hope that, you know, this this reaches a bunch of people that, you know, will help kind of live and breathe the, the Elk Smart mentality with it and, and, and do their part as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Cool. So... Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking to me and and to be able to, you know, provide this information. I think there was so much knowledge in this and, and you know, I, I I know me personally I got more out of it than uh than I was even hoping to. So that's that's great. Hey, I mean, thank you. You know, anything that, that brings awareness to Pennsylvania's elk population and gets people thinking about it, gets people talking about it, um, is all, all great stuff. So I, I really appreciate the opportunity and, and thank you for having me. Awesome. So Jeremy, where can people find some more information on, on the Pennsylvania elk herd on Pennsylvania elk hunting and, and elk smart and everything we talked about, where do you have some resources you kind of list off there for people to go look this stuff up? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, this is a given. Our website is going to have all of that information on it. Um, so that's the, the Pennsylvania Game Commission's website. There's elk specific. There's an elk specific page in there, and um, there's components of, of pretty much everything that we've talked about. So, like all of the, the information about the hunting, the application, um, uh, our, our link to our management plan is on there, and then there will be information related to uh, uh, elk smart as well. So th- that'd probably be the primary place to um, start. And, and then, uh, another thing that I would point out is, is, uh, the game commission's YouTube page. Um, there's different videos, different, uh, educational, uh, um, tools or educational videos that are, that are, uh, listed on our YouTube page. Um, and, and that'd be a, a second one that I'd probably point to something or I'd point everybody to, man, I'm tripping over my words. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. I, and yeah, I definitely urge everyone to check out those things for, you know, more detail and, and, and everything that we talked about here, it's, it's all available to the public. So it's, um, you know, I, I definitely appreciate that that's out there. So. Hey, uh, real quick, one thing I forgot and, um, hopefully you can, place this in somewhere but uh elk smart is not just a a game commission um thing you know uh it is a partnership between several different organizations um so there's a, a lot of different entities and a lot of different pieces to uh elk tourism and elk hunting and and, and everything you know elk related in, in pennsylvania so elk smart is a, a a partnership between um one the keystone elk country alliance they're the organization that runs the visitor center um, and uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is a part of it. Um, Department of Conservation and Natural Resources is, is a big part of it. The uh, Pennsylvania Wilds is a part of it. And then the um, Pennsylvania Great Outdoors Visitor Bureau is also a part of it. So, you know, all of those entities combined, um, we're a big team on this, this whole initiative and, and, and pushing it together and, and everybody's on the same page with that. So, uh, just a shout out to all those those different partners and um, you know their participation and support is is key to making this a success. 
Yeah, that that's a that's a great ad there, and and I, I will add a, a little a plug here to. I'll be writing an article for the Pennsylvania Wilds, which is one of the Elksmart partners, about this program, and you know, kind of my conversation here with Jeremy. So you'll be able to find some more information there as well. So cool. Well, Jeremy, again, thank you for coming on and talking to me here, and uh, I. Hope that uh, you pull my name in the drawing. Yeah, I hope so too. That would be so cool, man. <laughs> um, I would, I would, I would literally laugh out loud if that happened. But uh, I, I hope it happens as well. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.